This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most brutal, the most high-profile homicides occurring in Maryland They are discussed, they are profiled, and they are examined. Now, if you have been tuning in this season, you already know that the focus for this season has been revenge. Any type of revenge type of homicides, because vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Now, that is a scripture in Romans uh, 12, 19 through 21, or uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, Uh, verse 35, depending on whatever Bible that you are using. Um, I grew up with the King James Version, I mean, um, the New World's Translation. Um, Whatever Bible you want to use, I just know the death scripture, it's in there. And they say that revenge is a dish best served cold. And these next cases of revenge murders, they did not fail to deliver just that. These next cases of revenge homicides occurring in Maryland, they had a clear motive of revenge or basically um, the connotation with, I'm going to pay you back for what I feel that you did to me. And this episode's case of revenge homicide that I'm going to profile is the mass shooting of five employees at the Capitol that was committed by 38-year-old Gerard Warren Ramos. And just like I've done in every single episode of this podcast, a portion of this podcast will be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because it's the case is now considered a cold case. And every single episode of this podcast, although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides that may have received a lot of press and notoriety, On the flip side, this podcast also has a main goal in assisting with any unsolved homicides that need to be solved. And this episode's unsolved homicide that I'm going to profile is the shooting murder of 23-year-old Nayel Jeremiah Shebex. Public records, the internet... And what you can find and publish online is uncanny. I mean, with my phone, nowadays, I can Google or bang you right in front of your face and pull up any information that is considered public record, no matter what the information is. It could be your address. It could be your, like, your records, any debts that you may have, your criminal history, anything Nobody likes that. I mean, they used to have a saying back when I was growing up called Big Ben going to be watching you. They don't have to create no Big Ben. The internet is Big Ben. It's like nobody likes that you can pick up your public information or anything like that that's already online. Nobody. But when you have a job 
that requires you, um, ex like especially, nobody likes that, but especially when you have a job that requires you to be squeaky clean. Like if you work for the government and you have like a top secret clearance or, you know, a clearance card or something like that, a freaking speeding ticket or even a bad credit score can cause you to not only lose that top secret clearance, but it can cause you to lose your job too. Such as in the case with Gerard Warren Ramos. Growing up as a kid, Gerard was always a loner with little to no friends. But after he graduated from Arundel High in 1997, Gerard enrolled at Capitol College where he managed to earn a Bachelor of Science degree in computer engineering after graduating in 2006. As I stated, Gerard was an introvert and in his spare time, uh, Gerard enjoyed playing chess competitively and apparently he was good at it. Gerard played chess on a competitive level from 1999 until 2003, where in 2003, Gerard finished third in his division at the Maryland Open. But after Gerard graduated with a degree in computer engineering, he was able to obtain a top secret clearance and land a position as a help desk specialist working for the uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, which is uh, basically owned for enterprise uh, information services. Now, while Gerard was working there, Gerard reached out to a woman, an old classmate of his from high school. Out of the complete blue, Gerard sends her a Facebook message and a friend request telling the woman that she was the only person to ever speak to him or like the only person to ever be nice to him in school. The woman was like, she has no idea who Gerard was. Like she literally was like, I have no idea who you are. But so anyway, he started sending her like pictures of himself to jog the woman's memory. And the woman still didn't remember who um, Gerard was. But she didn't really want to be like, um, like rude to him or nothing like that. So eventually she just ended the messaging by telling Gerard that he should go see a counselor because he kind of seemed off and basically stalkerish. I mean, that is kind of weird if somebody just approach you, you ain't heard from them in years, you have no idea who they are. And they talking about you was the only person that ever say not hi to me or whatever in school. And it's been years. Weird. But anyway... Um, Gerard didn't take this woman's advice of, you know, seeing a counselor and instead he started harassing her. He started sending her emails and DMs constantly. When the woman ignored him and wouldn't respond to his emails and messages, Gerard increased the pressure and harassment, getting angry with the woman, calling her names and whatnot, even telling her like she should just go and kill herself. Gerard found out where the woman worked at and he started emailing her job to try to get her fired. The woman blocked him on social media, but Gerard still managed to tease and taunt her with the stuff that he found out that she had posted on other people's page. Like, he, I don't know if some kind of way he was able to figure out what type of posts she was posting on other people's pages. I guess because they shared mutual friends. Who even knows? But either way, um, the woman constantly told Gerard to stop harassing her, to leave her alone. But that only made Gerard worse. It made him more angrier and the emails and DMs continued. 
finally, the woman got the police involved. And um, and when uh, Gerard had found out that the woman had called the cops on him, he did back off for like months. But because the issue wasn't settled in Gerard's eyes, after a few months of leaving the woman alone, Gerard started back up again with the emails, the messages, the threats. The woman called the police again. And in 2009, she filed a peace order and criminal harassment charges against him. And this time, Gerard was charged and convicted of harassment in January of 2011. And he was sentenced to 90 days in jail and 18 months of supervised probation. Just because y'all don't, people just don't know how to leave people the fuck alone. Now, after the woman told the press that Gerard was, in her words, a fucking nut job that would be your next mass shooter and that she had to move three times, including to a whole new state and that she had to change her name and she started basically sleeping with the gun because she was so spooked by Gerard. Gerard was also ordered to get some counseling like he had done in the past and to stay away from the woman that he had been harassing. In the woman's signed affidavit to the court, she had written in her words, I am physically afraid of Mr. Ramos and that he may cause me serious physical injury and or death. After Gerard got sentenced, a writer who worked for the Capital Magazine decided to write an article about this computer engineer who held a top secret clearance and was just convicted of basically stalking and harassing a woman. The name of the article was entitled, Gerard Wants to Be Your Friend. And the article described in detail how uh, Gerard basically first started harassing this woman who was like her former classmate and how he ended up later being convicted of criminal ha harassment, but he still had this clearance. Now, anyway, um, the Capitol and the Gazette, they are sister newspapers with the Capitol being um, published since 1884. All this is according to Wikipedia. While the Gazette has been in publication since 1727, it that has made it one of the oldest magazines still being published in the United States. Now, after this article uh, was published in 2014, Gerard was fired from his government job over stability concerns, where he had held down this job for seven years. After this, um, Gerard filed his own lawsuit against his job and against the Capitol. Gerard sued his job, saying in his lawsuit that his job owed him uh, $1,200 in unpaid wages and newly acquired court fees and cost. A judge eventually agreed on giving Gerard the $1,200, but he ain't agreed to nothing else including Gerard's lawsuit with the Capitol, where Gerard accused the Capitol uh, with publishing lies or false information. Um, well, basically... He what Gerard wasn't suing the Capitol because of the information that they had published in the article. Not saying that it was lies. He was basically saying that because they had published the stuff in the article, it was making it hard for him to get a job, let alone keep a top secret clearance card. Now, Gerard lost this case, but he just kept appealing and appealing and appealing the case over the years, over the years, and har harassing everybody who worked at the Capitol. In 2013, 
a female employee of the Capitol did call the Anne Arundel County Police Department about Gerard's constant threats and harassment, telling them, in her words, that this is a guy who is going to come in and shoot us. But the police really didn't feel like it was necessary to file a report, so they really did nothing. And the employee also told the newspaper's lawyer what was going on. And they kind of like uh, discussed filing a restraining order against Gerald and all that again, but nothing was really done. In 2015, a Prince George's County Circuit Court judge finally dismissed and threw out Gerald's whole defamation case against the Capitol, basically saying that the Capitol did what newspapers do. And that's write and publish articles that are based on publicity are circulating around a case that they can and most always include some form of public record. And also that Gerard had to prove himself that he had to prove basically to himself that the article wasn't true or that the facts in the article wasn't true. If the Capitol had put out an article with a whole bunch of lies, that's a different case. Now, that's basically what the judge was saying. The judge wrote in her report, stating in her words, uh, his complaint was a fundamental failure to understand what defamation law is, and more particularly, what defamation law is not. After the judge threw out the lawsuit, this thing, that enraged Gerald even more, and he legally bought a gun. And opened up a Twitter account where he did nothing but attack the newspaper staff and posted like threatening messages directly to the staff and even to the judge who had ruled against him. This feud went on for years and it got it just basically once the judge dismissed the case completely that ain't do nothing but set fuel to the fire. I mean Gerard by this time he had no job he had no wife he had no girlfriend. He had no kids. He lived alone in his little one-bedroom apartment in Laurel with no life. He had nothing. Even his own family didn't really fuck with him no more because Gerard, basically, he had a history of zapping out and being calculating and manipulative towards people and started threatening them and throwing tantrums when he didn't get his way. Don't nobody like nobody like that. Finally, Gerard snapped when he could not get his way you know, filing lawsuits and appealing and this, that, and the third. On June 24th, 2018, Gerard bought a lifetime membership to the U.S. Chess Federation because he knew that what he was about to do, that was going to land him not being at home for a while. Basically, he knew he was going away and he knew that he was going to need something to occupy his time. Then, on June 28th, 2018, frustrated because he didn't get his way with suing the Capitol, Gerald set his sights on targeting the employees who worked there. The Capitol Gazette building, located at 888 Bestgate Road in Parole, Maryland, is home to not just the Capitol newspapers, but it houses the Merlin Gazette, the Bowie Blade News, the Crofton West County Gazette, and the Capital Style Magazine. Gerard peaked with rage and frustration and revenge. He wrote and sent letters to the attorneys and the judge 
who had been involved in his lawsuit against the Capitol, writing in his own words. This is what he said. Welcome, Mr. Moreland, to your unexpected legacy. You should have died. Friends forever. Gerard Ramos. I further certify I then did proceed to the office of Respondent Capital Gazette Communications with the objective of killing every person present. Now, the now 38-year-old Gerard headed over to the Capitol building. Um, as he did, when he got there, he barricaded the rear exit of the office so that people who would try to escape would have nowhere to go. Armed with his legally bought 12-gauge Mossberg 500-pump action shotgun, Gerard was tired of just making empty, idle threats. Today, he was going to get his revenge. First, Gerard made his appearance known at the Capitol by shooting through a glass door. Then, targeting the communications staff specifically, Gerard just started shooting the employees. 34-year-old Rebecca Smith was a sales and advertising coordinator who had only started working at the Capitol since November of 2017. Rebecca was sitting at the front desk and she was the first employee at the Capitol to get shot. Rebecca later died at a local hospital. Rebecca had been a stepmom to one child and had described herself as a dog mom. 59-year-old Rob Hassan, who was an assistant editor and weekend columnist for the Capitol, was also shot and killed. Rob had started working for the Baltimore Sun in 1993 for almost 24 years before he was hired as the assistant director, or I'm sorry, assistant editor for the Capitol. Rob left behind a wife of 33 years and three children to mourn his death. 56-year-old John McNamara was a sports reporter for the Capitol and editor and primary reporter for the Bowie Blade News and the Crofton West County Gazette. And John had worked for the Capitol for over 20 years and he had been working on publishing his third uh, novel. 61-year-old Gerald Fishman who was the columnist and editorial page editor for the column for the Capitol, was also shot. Gerald had been a 1979 University of Maryland graduate and had been a well-respected and well-liked editor and writer. Many of Gerald's articles had earned him numerous awards uh, from Maryland, Delaware, and Washington, D.C. Press Association. Um, according to articles for uh, Baltimore Sun and Wikipedia, Gerard took a pause in his shooting frenzy, and many of the employees at the Capitol building started running and hiding between the filing cabinets in the building. But one brave soul made a difference. 65-year-old Wendy Winters, she saw this pause in Gerard's shooting as an opportunity to, dis to distract Gerard even more so that more of her co-workers could escape, and she briefly distracted Gerard by yelling and screaming at him and charging at him with a trash can and a recycling bin. While Wendy distracted Gerard, other employees managed to get away, but ultimately Gerard shot and killed Wendy. 
Wendy had been a community beat reporter and special publication editor for the Capitol. Wendy had started working in the Fashion and Public Relations Department after she earned her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Fashion Design at Virginia Commonwealth University. And she was a journalist for more than a decade before she started working at the Capitol. Wendy wrote three columns for the Capitol, which were Home of the Week, Around Broadneck, and Teen of the Week. Wendy was the first freelancer in the history of the Capitol to earn a journalism award for writing an article entitled The Mystery Jogger of College Parkway. Um, Wendy had been a church youth uh, group counselor and volunteer for American Red Cross, a Girl Scout leader, and she left behind four children to mourn her death. Two other employees were also shot as they tried to escape, but they would survive. Then all of a sudden, the shooting stopped. And when the police showed up at the Capitol, they found Gerard hiding under a desk in an office. Gerard refused to identify himself for like <laughs> a minute or for, to even say like who he was. But he was caught carrying a backpack that had like smoke bombs, grenades and other military, military Columbine type bullshit. The police managed to safely evacuate 170 other people who were at the Capitol to a uh, reunification center that had been set up at Westfield Annapolis Shopping Center, which is not too far from uh, the Capitol. Arrested and charged with everything from murder to attempted murder, Gerard was held without bail and put on suicide watch because now, all of a sudden, Gerard wanted to consider himself crazy or mentally unstable because he admitted to seeing a psychiatrist at least 75 times before he zapped out and started shooting up the Capitol. And Gerard admitted to telling the cops and doctors that if he ever got the chance to, he would definitely kill again. So all of a sudden, this whole I'm crazy act, you know, came into play. So on August 20th, 2018, Gerard pled not criminally responsible to a total, a total of 23 related charges. And a judge ordered a mental health evaluation by the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene for Gerard. But on October the 21st, 2019, a judge ruled that Gerard was legally sane and that Gerard could be held responsible for the mass murders, even though Gerard never showed an ounce of remorse. During Gerard's two-week trial, his lawyers tried that whole mental illness defense and they got their experts to testify saying that Gerard was basically autistic and had an autistic spectrum disorder. Mind you, this, this dude had a, a bachelor's in criminal engineering, which ain't easy to get. So come on now. Um, he had autistic spectrum disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, delusional disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. This is everything that his lawyers said that was wrong with him. In other words, Gerard was diagnosed with being a punk ass bitch. I mean, come on now. Just y'all just making it a fancy word, a fancy words to basically say this was a narcissistic punk ass bitch. I'm sorry, that's all that sounds like the type of personality he had. Not no mental illness. 
The prosecution called like their own people to testify, including six survivors of the shooting who testified and explained like what they had been through. The state's attorney also called their own court-appointed forensic experts who testified saying that Gerard was motivated by revenge against the Capitol, that he that basically this revenge had originated from the article that had been written about him years ago, like years back. After the prosecution's expert witnesses said that Gerard's uh, schizotypical personality disorder was basically an act, in the end, a jury deliberated for less than two hours before Gerard was found sane and guilty of one of Maryland's most notorious mass murders. And on September 28, 2021, Gerard was sentenced to five life terms plus 345 years in prison to uh, memorialize and honor the victims. On April 2, 2019, the Capitol was awarded a Pulitzer uh, Prize. A candlelight visual on the streets of Annapolis was held on June 29, 2019 by friends and family of the victims to honor the journalists, the staff, and editorial board of the Capitol Gazette. On July 28, 2018, to honor the victims, a summit music festival was held under the title Annapolis Rising, a benefit for the Capitol Gazette and Free Press, where the band Good Charlotte and Less Than Jake performed. The comedian uh, and Washington Post editor-in-chief Jordan Kleeper also performed at the festival. To boost the sunken morale of the Capitol. In July of 2018, the equipment manager of the Washington Capitals, who won the 2018 Stanley Cup, brought the Stanley Cup to the Capitol Gazette's office. And because of Wendy's heroic actions of basically distracting Gerard so that other people could get away, in December of 2020, Wendy was posthumously posthumously awarded the uh, Carnegie Medal of the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. Uh, and on June 28, 2021, on the third anniversary of the shooting, a memorial to all five of the victims entitled Guardians of the First Amendment was inverted in Newman Park in Annapolis. Now, this this homicide, I know a lot of people remember this one. First off, this wasn't that long ago. And if there was ever um, a caption or ever a case where there was somebody just could not let shit go and move on, this was it. Um, just because you are a bitch, a sarcastic, like they said, everything that was supposedly wrong with this dude. And that does not make you mentally ill. People always want to hide behind that with every little thing. Just because you a bitch and you're going around rude to people, mad because you can't get shit your way, this, that, and the third. That don't necessarily mean that you are mentally ill. It just means that you a fucking bitch. Just because you are narcissistic does not mean that you are mentally ill. There's no pill for that. How about you just try to treat people right? It seems like, you know, these people that are so highly intelligent. He This dude had a, a degree in engineering. And, you know, they feel like they all been wronged in some type of way. They just feel like 
they have been mistreated or something like that. I just don't get it. When I heard about this one, I was surprised because, you know, of course, it was like a, it was a mass murder occurring in Maryland. But I knew that it was either uh, I felt like it was either a disgruntled employee, maybe, or it was done maybe because of something that the article um, the newspaper had written about this person or something. Maybe I felt like it was a domestic situation. I just remember like, wow, <laughs> when I heard about this, when I was just like Baltimore again, Merlin put on the map again with this body more murder land shit. So, but what, what did surprise me with this case is that in most mass murders, um, like the shooter usually kills himself. They found this dude hiding under desk. So I'm surprised he didn't kill himself like what most mass murders do. Um, this dude, I can almost guarantee he will never see the light of day. You can keep trying that mental illness aspect if you want to. But even if you are labeled mentally ill, guess what? That ain't going to fly over here. You killed five people at, at the Capitol. At, <laughs> it's not going to happen. He, he will never be released. And of course, this is one of this is why I selected this one as one of Maryland's most notorious um, uh, revenge homicide cases because this was strictly done for revenge. And um, like I said, um, dude ain't never coming home. Not after this one. Mm -mm. Maryland no plate. No, 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 not happening. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Moving right on into this episode's Unsolved Homicide. And like I said earlier, just like in every single episode that has been in this podcast, although a lot of attention and focus is placed on uh, notorious homicide cases that may have received a lot of attention and press from the media, this podcast also shines light on the many, many homicide cases that we see in the state of Maryland that do not receive a lot of attention or a lot of or any mention in the press at all these type of homicides are so common in maryland that it's 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 not a lot of time trust me in in, in any podcast to just focus on just the number of them sometimes when a person gets murdered in this lovely state of maryland you don't hear nothing else about it other than the initial report no matter how brutal the case is and the number of homicides that are unsolved in this case this state is completely staggering it's uncanny, really. It's obvious that homicide detectives, they're not magicians. They can't do everything by themselves. You know, solving homicide cases is like a jigsaw puzzle. It's not like what you might see on TV, like the first 48 in the state of Maryland. It's not always like that. Homicide detectives, they're often overworked. They're underpaid. They're outnumbered. They're under stress. They got to go home to their families with this. And they flat out beaten down all the time. Um, it's like certain cases, they just seem like they get pushed to the back burner and not to the forefront because 
more important cases are pushed to the forefront. But what happens to the cases, like, for instance, where nobody ain't talking at all, when investigators don't have nothing? What happens when there are absolutely no clues whatsoever? What happens to cases where nobody is talking at all, like, it's like there's no evidence, no clear motive, no clues, no nothing, just the body? Or what about cases where, because of the victim's past or, like, their current lifestyle, where it seems like the detectives, they're not really trying to make this case a priority or they're not really trying to investigate this case because you get a sense or feeling that they're not really trying to do it because the victim, quote-unquote, like, they had it coming. They're almost like the detectives give you an attitude, like, you know, what you expect. What happens to those type of cases where it just seems like the family, they know who did it. People might know who did it. But they just can't prove it. There's like they can't really put two and two together. What happened to these type of cases? I mean, did a killer or killer just really just simply just get away with murder? It just seems like literally nothing is done with these forgotten homicides, not because nobody cares anymore, but because the public simply just forgot all about it. Because right when we're trying to digest this one, here comes a new one. It's like we have been like almost immune to homicides in this state. Well, on this podcast, although I do talk about cases where the murder did receive a lot of attention and a lot of notoriety, on the flip side, a focus is also on homicide cases that did not receive the amount of attention that they deserved. Um, they did not receive a lot of press and a lot of these cases are old and people are like, I never even heard about this one. And with that being said, um, this episode's Unsolved Homicide is the shooting murder of 23-year-old Nayel Jeremiah Shabex. On Friday, February the 1st, 2019, around 2.40 p.m., Prince George's County Police were called to the 5100 block of Deal Drive in Oxon Hill, about one, which is only about a thousand feet away from the Washington D.C. border. Um, cops were called there to check up on somebody that was hurt in a vehicle, and once they arrived on the scene, they found the body of 23-year-old Nayel Jeremiah Shabex. Nayel was from Widow's Mite Road in Edgewater, and he was found shot multiple times and was pronounced dead at the scene. The police need your help in solving this case. So y'all know what time it is. You already know what I'm about to say. If you have any information that you want to provide, please call the Prince, George, Prince George's County Police Department at 301 772 Four nine two five, or you can call Crime Solvers at one eight six six four one one eight four seven seven, or you can text PG uh, Police Department um, plus your message to two seven four six three seven, which is Crimes on your um, on your phone, or you can go online at www.pgpolice.org to leave a tip. Let me go by, I'm going to mention them numbers again. You can call the uh, Prince George's County Police Department 
at 301-772-4925 or you can call Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-TIPS and that is 866-411-8477 on your numeric keypad or you can text um, the Prince George's Police Department your message to crimes with an S on your numeric keypad that is 274-637 or you can go online at www.pgpolice.org to leave a tip. There is a reward of up to $25,000 for this particular unsolved homicide and you can remain anonymous people. Thank you for tuning in this week. Before I go into my usual routine of how you can access prior episodes, let me mention that if you're tuned into me at all last season, I did tell my listeners that I was producing a true crime documentary that was based off of my very first episode. Um, and the episode that profiled uh, accused child killers Adon Canella and Policarpio Espinosa. And yes, the documentary is now currently available. It was supposed to be shown on, what, Hulu, Tubi, and all of that, but because of the extreme graphic nature of this documentary involving the brutal and horrific beheading murders of three innocent kids, um, and especially because they include the actual crime scene photos, I didn't cut a lot of the stuff. I did, I cut it as much as I could, but networks, they basically shied away from me and told me that this documentary was too graphic it's, it's too much for network TV, and especially because it involved kids. Adults, yes. Kids, no. I mean, I refused to basically pull the photos from the documentary. I mean, I felt like I needed... I mean, like I blurred it as much as I could. I mean, because of the brutal nature of the crime scene photos, it adds to the emphasis of the innocence of Adon Canella and Policarpio Espinosa. And in order for me to fully emphasize the fact that these two defendants did not commit this horrible homicide, I had to show what was done to these kids with no sugar cutting or cut cards or none of that. There's no way the victim's uncle and cousin committed these murders that was extremely brutal. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see who I believe um, that the murders were committed by or not or why they were done. Either way, the documentary is available via email only. It's not for everybody's eyes, I will admit. And um, this documentary was not produced to make money or to uh, get likes or anything like that. Um, which is another reason why I didn't choose the network route. I cannot and I will not be censored. Especially when it comes to true crime and facts and basically the facts of an injustice that I believe is currently going on. So in order to see the documentary, um, please visit my website at MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com and you can subscribe to the mailing list by leaving your email address. And this is the most important part. Send me a specific request that you want to see uh, the documentary and I will email it the, uh, the link to you within uh, 24 to 48 hours. I gotta warn you though. Now, first of all, the video will come to you in a separate email called WeTransfer. All you gotta do is click on the link. 
a lot of people are receiving um, their ask me for the video and I'm giving them, I'm emailing them the video we transfer, but they're not downloading the link. Click on the link and you'll be able to see um, uh, the documentary. And, um, but they give you, I think, seven days to do it. After that, the link will expire and you just have to re-email me again for a whole new link. It's weird, but for now, that's just how we're doing it. Because, like I said, um, to be honest, I believe with the state of the world, the way we are now, um, I just believe nobody really cares that two illegal immigrants are locked up, serving life sentences for crimes that they did not commit. People's attitude are like, they shouldn't have been over here anyway. I'll tell you the truth. And that's why I produced the documentary also to open people's eyes of like what's really going on. And while you're at it, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast via Spotify for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. And for paid subscribers, be sure to check out The Real, The Raw, The Uncensored version of why I decided to start a true crime podcast in the first place. A lot of people think that this is like my first rodeo. And that I just woke up one day and just decided I'm just going to start a true crime podcast. But this is something, this is a, a, a game that I've been involved in for years, man. I mean, it, like years. It's a real therapeutic message to this true crime world of gore and mayhem. And if you're curious about it, if you click on the episode entitled Why I Do What I Do, you'll understand uh, more about why I'm so weird. <laughs> So crazy and so fascinated with this true crime world. And while you're on my website, which is uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, and Maryland is spelled M D S, um, be sure to check out any prior episodes that you may have missed with all of the different seasons that we have focused on, like uh, teen killers, uh, suicide related murders relationship type of um homicides even um like last season um parasite killings um so you can find links to all of my true crime books that are loosely related to this podcast entitled maryland's most notorious murders 1990 to 2008 maryland's unsolved homicides volume one and my local bestsellers until i get caught the true story of a serial rapist in baltimore uh, junkie, a true Baltimore story, as well as my story, uh, child of Baltimore. Um, you can also check me out on season one of payback, which airs for the TV one network. Um, you can also check me out on the oxygen network for black widow murders, where I profiled Maryland's female serial killer, Josephine gray, or you can check me out on TV one's justice by any means TV one's fatal attraction where I profile the North Carolina child murderer, Peter Moses. Or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network, where I profiled um, the teen killers, Sarah Citroni and um, Jason DeLong, which were also profiled for this podcast. Um, you can also check me out, my well, check out my latest article for the Crime Report, where I'm also discussing, again, what led me to developing a true crime podcast and basically a uh, a career in true crime production. Um, Last but not least, uh, many of my listeners have been messaging me constantly on how they can donate to this podcast. 
Um, on my website, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, there is a donate icon on the website where you can contribute uh, via PayPal, Anchor, uh, Kofi, I think that's how you pronounce it, or the Buy Me a Coffee icons. Um, thanks for so much for y'all's support on that one. I ain't gonna lie. Um, we only got one more episode to go in this uh, particular season, season nine, that we're focused on revenge. And most, I ain't gonna lie, if you're from Baltimore, I will, I, this is my hint. Which one do y'all think is gonna be? Which one do y'all think is the number one revenge based homicide occurring in Maryland? Though I, I give you a hint. Those of us that lived in Baltimore, you should already know this. It's it's nothing gonna top that. Um, so if you wanna figure out what it is, please be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome, another high profile homicide occurring in Merlin, it will be profiled, it we it, it will be examined, and it will be discussed. On Maryland's most notorious murders. And this has been a Savage Life production. <laughs>